Welcome to Lead and Lift with Shabaday Jaglal Ramnath, the podcast where we work with high-achieving moms in leadership on their communication and confidence. Now our host, Shabaday. Welcome back to another episode of Lead and Lift. I am your host, Shabaday Jaglal Ramnath, and my special guest today is Richard Newman. Richard is the founder of Body Talk. At age 18, Richard started his mission to discover the core communication principles. His study proved that you can increase your leadership ratings by 44% by changing a few simple behaviors. Richard, I'm so honored to have you on the show. Thanks a lot, Shabaday. Thanks for having me on. And Richard, how did you at age 18 decide that you have a bigger mission in life and you're going to discover core communication principles. Hey all, it's Shabade, and I want to make sure you go check out leadandlift.com forward slash society, S-O-C-I-E-T-Y. One of the secrets I learned on my personal development journey is the power of community. And that's why I created this society and you get to join for just $1 for the first month. So what is the Lead and Lift Society? It's a community for high achieving moms who want to elevate their career and life. It's a place to learn, network, grow, and connect with other high achieving professionals. I'm really excited about this society because it brings people together. And let's face it, we learn better through social learnings and we realize our struggles are not unique and there is help available. Please just do yourself a favor and go to leadandlift.com forward slash society. Again, there is a trial for $1 for the first month and you get live training and coaching on topics such as high performance, leadership, courage, confidence, communication, and personal development. You get tools so you can win each day and achieve your goals. You get an amazing global community so you can surround yourself with caring high achievers just like you. And you get 30 days of personal development for just $1 for the first month on this incredible trial period. Architecting the life you want does not have to be difficult or done alone. Join the society today to get the support and encouragement you need to make real change in your life. Start for $1 at leadandlift.com forward slash society. Yeah, great question. So I think uh, for me, the journey really started from when I was about four years old. So age four, I had a group of friends. I was enjoying life. I was enjoying school. And then just before my fifth birthday, we moved to a new area, a new school. And I really struggled to connect with people. I remember very distinctly the first day there of sitting on these tiny little chairs that you get in, in school at that age and turning to the person on my left and trying to connect with them and try and become friends with them. And they just turned away from me and giggled. And then I had the same reaction from the people on the other side and across the table. And it felt to me like I was in this glass bubble, completely unable to connect with the people around me. And I just burst into tears and I didn't know what to do. And, you know, I started to realize at a relatively young age that I was shy. Later on, I realized that I'm an introvert. It wasn't actually until many years later that I realized uh, that I'm autistic. And so I have a different perception of how to communicate, a different way of communicating. 
And so the challenge being there, just to sort of give it context for anyone who's unsure, there's, there's a huge spectrum of what it means to be autistic. And I'm just one variation of that. But essentially, neurotypical people can communicate really well with each other. And autistic people can communicate well with each other. It's when you put the two groups together that suddenly there's a challenge. And so I was finding that my approach, my instincts on communication were different to others. And at the age of 16, a friend of mine gave me a book called Body Language by Alan Pease. And she said, I, I think you'll really benefit from this book. And I read it and I was just amazed by it. I, there was things in there that I'd never thought about. And suddenly it was like being given sort of like the holy grail and thinking, how oh, this is a superpower. I now understand things I'd never seen before. And then when you understand it, you can't really switch it off. And so I became fascinated, kept on reading books in that area. And then when I was about to leave school, there was a guy who came to our school to give a, a talk, which we call sixth form lectures. It means when you're like 17, 18, you're in what used to be called the sixth form of school or high school, final year. And this guy who'd been at our school a few years before, he said, look, when he left school, his friends went to university, but he decided to go and work in an orphanage in Kathmandu. And he told us this story and I thought, wow, that's the kind of thing I want to do right now. I want to go and help people who really need my help and I want to explore the world and I want to improve my communication. So maybe I can do all, thing, all, all three things. And so I ended up going to this uh, remote Tibetan monastery in the foothills of the Himalayas up in Northeast India, sort of near Darjeeling, which is the largest sort of big town that people know of. And I was living there with these monks for six months where they didn't speak any English when I arrived. So I had to use, to, uh, had to use my body language, and my tone of voice just to connect with them, to understand them. And then over the course of six months, I learned how to speak Nepali, which was the main language of the area we were in. And they learned from me how to speak English. And we achieved that non-verbally, which was extraordinary to me. And so I started to appreciate how much can be done non-verbally, how much that had meant to me, kept on studying books, ended up reading around 200 books on communication in the space of the next few years. I also studied acting at a London drama school. And then from there, started building out these techniques that I thought would help people in business to communicate, which led me to this study that I created in 2016, where we worked with the University College of London, uh, the head of psychology there, Professor Adrian Furnham, who's world-renowned for his work on psychology. He's published over a thousand papers. And we put together this project that got published in the journal Psychology, which is a peer-reviewed journal. And essentially what I was looking at is, can we prove that there are universal principles everybody can use to improve their impact, no matter who you might be, no matter what background you have, what your skin color is, what your gender might be, can you do something to improve your communication so that you can have a greater influence on the people around you and to come back to the theme of your podcast so that leaders can lift the people uh, around them. And we found these principles that we just didn't expect to be able to find with results that were way beyond what we expected that everybody can benefit from. Wow, Richard, that a tour on its own. I honor you for recognizing so early, like using that opportunity when you got that book at age 16 to actually read it and, you know, see what thoughts came up for you and then follow that on your lifelong mission to do that research to find out what are those principles. Because, I mean, for us, I, I grew up in Trinidad. And when you talked about sixth form, yes, because the British came into Trinidad, we also have sixth form. And they do bring these people in to talk to you because that's when you're deciding what do you want to be in life? Because a lot of the path is you graduate and then you go get yourself a job. 
So I'm happy that when that person came into your life to do that talk, together with what you learned in the book, it inspired you to go to the Himalayas Mm. to meet those monks and, you know, learn from them. That is truly an inspiring journey. So Richard, I am curious, just like our, our audience, you said you did the study and there's universal principles. Can you share some of those universal principles with us? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so to go into what we did with this study, first of all, I went to, um, to speak to Professor Adrian Furnham. I said, I want to run this study. And I talked about the scope of what I was aiming to achieve. And he said, this is never going to work. And uh, you need to get it really pinned down. So you've got specific things that you're looking for. As we designed this, it, it was an 18-month worth of uh, collaboration with each other to, to pin down what the study would be so we knew it would give us good results. And before we ran this study, he and his team even said, you need to be prepared for the fact you might achieve nothing. You might find that what you believe doesn't achieve anything or even that it achieves the opposite of what you think it does. And I said, I'm open to that. I actually just want to know because there was a big gap that I found in communication skills research where I thought, a lot of stuff had been done, studies had been done back in you know, the 1960s, 70s, 80s. And then there was a bit of a gap of people not really putting together worthwhile and large, uh, wide-ranging studies. And so we put together what we believe is one of the largest studies ever done in this area. So more than 2,000 people took part in the study with us. We had them from across Europe, Asia, and the Americas. And the way the study worked is that we got people uh, to uh, speak to a camera as if they're addressing an audience. And they would be saying the same information in every video they did, but we created a hundred variations of this video. So in every video, they're wearing the same clothes. They're saying exactly the same words. But in some of the videos, uh, the person presenting is male. In some of the videos, the person presenting is female. In some of them, they've got a lighter skin, some have darker skin. And we also put them through an aging process to see if you look like you're 30 years older or 30 years younger, does that make an impact on your leadership ratings, confidence ratings, and so on? So they would record this video. We then uh, would, in each video, once we'd put in those variations I mentioned, we would get them to slightly change their body language just to see if we slightly change their nonverbal behavior, does that make an impact on their ratings or not? And we went very slowly from what we find are the most common habits that people have day to day. And we gradually shifted their behavior across to what we thought would be the most effective type of behavior, putting it all together. And so what we found, what we were amazed by with this study, which we didn't expect, is firstly, it didn't matter if it, if it was a man or a woman in the video. That made no difference to the ratings, which is not what we expected. Uh, we also found it didn't matter if it was a man or a woman who was watching the video. The people who watched the video were aged from 18 to 65, men and women from all the way around the world. And so if we had an 18-year-old uh, boy in Mumbai watch the video, we could then have a 65-year-old woman in California watching the video, and we would get roughly the same results. So that surprised us too. It didn't matter what your skin color was, your gender, your background, those things didn't impact it. So we, we proved it was universal. But more importantly, what could they actually do? So what we found is that if you go from the most common bad habits that people have day to day that you see just generally speaking around the office, around the business world, and you shift across to the most effective styles of communication, you can very quickly, while you're saying the same words and wearing the same clothes, you can increase uh, how many people are convinced by what you said. So say in a sales pitch, you can get 42% more people convinced by a sales pitch while saying the same words, wearing the same clothes. 
44% more people will be uh, thinking that you're a good leader. And nearly 59% of people would vote for you in an election. 59% more people voting for you in an election than they would do previously. So the big question is how? What, what were the things that made the difference? So we tested some things that didn't make any difference at all. But the big things I can talk about, which anyone can achieve, is firstly, if we talk about posture. Posture. So whether you're sitting down, standing up, speaking to a camera on a webcam, or speaking to a group of people, posture is critical. So one of the things we found is a typical bad habit that people have is that they are doing what we call the off-center shuffle or standing in a position or sitting in a position of anti-gravitas. So gravitas is something leaders so often want to have, that sense of authority, that sense of leadership, that presence that you want to bring into a room so that people respond to you well and they, they respect your ideas. And we find that physically, a lot of people are embodying the opposite. So what this means is if you're standing or sitting in a position where your weight is leaning off to one side, so gravity is pulling you down. And if someone stands or sits in that position and you give them a quick push on their shoulder, they'll fall over because gravity is pulling them away. So they're physically in a position of weakness. And so we found any variation of that just was not good. And so what we did was we gradually shifted this across to a position where people are centered. So if you think about this, if you're sitting or standing, this is where your posture is upright. So gravity is going directly down on your torso and you're evenly balanced between your left foot, your right foot, your toes and your heels. You are physically centered. The feet position also is important to be shoulder width apart. If you go smaller than that, you're seen as subservient. If you go wider than that, you're seen as arrogant or you're trying to mimic a rock star or something. But around shoulder width apart uh, is the best position to be in. Now, the best example to see this, just to make sort of common sense of it, if you watch someone playing, let's say, basketball, basketball is my favorite sport. Do you see someone playing? Oh, and you're because you're based in Toronto, the Raptors, I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, so you've got a good team there. So if you watch them taking a free throw, what do they do? They don't stand off to one side. They don't lean on one hip casually. They are standing centered. Their feet are shoulder width apart. They've got their weight evenly distributed between left foot, right foot, toes and heels. And they might bend over to bounce the ball. Then they, then they go upright to shoot it because it's the most balanced position. If you push them in that position, they're rock solid. And you see the same if someone is about to take the uh, putt on the 18th hole in golf or if you're about to receive a ball in tennis, you're standing or, or sitting if you're in, in a uh, situation where you're in business in a position that is centered, which appears to have more gravitas. The extra piece to add in there to get technical with people is to think about the sternum, which is the center of the chest plate. This can help align your posture too, where if you, um, if you notice on me as we're recording this, if I slightly droop my, my sternum, then suddenly I look like I'm defeated. Whereas if I slightly elevate my sternum, I can look confident. If I go too far, I look arrogant. So just slightly lifting it allows you to get that alignment in your posture where you appear to have confidence around your ideas. And the reason being, if you think about it, if someone who you've never met before, if they appear inspired, what they do is they get halfway through a sentence and they go, they breathe in, they lift their sternum and you think, what is it? This must be something really amazing that you've just thought of. You seem inspired. And so they've done a slight lift of that sternum. So you get gravity with you, slight lift of the sternum, feet about shoulder width apart, and suddenly you're using gravity in a way that works for everybody. So that's one sort of, you know, very specific piece uh, that people can do. The second major area that we looked at that made a dramatic difference was hands. And so what we found is that, uh, first of all, I get loads of people who talk to me in business who say, 
I don't know what to do with my hands. Should I gesture? I've been told I gesture too much. Maybe I should sit on my hands. Uh, my boss doesn't like it when I gesture, so I just keep them under the desk. So firstly, what we know about this is there's some great research done by Susan Golden Meadow from the University of Chicago. She did a series of experiments. And in one of them, she proved very simply that if you stop gesturing, it slows down your cognitive processing. So they tested this on mathematicians, I believe it was, where they got them to, to answer questions and it, like in an oral exam. And when they told them to stop gesturing or sit on their hands, their score results went down. Whereas when they told them, gesture freely as you're answering this question, their score results went up, it improved their cognitive processing and the intelligence of their answers. And so it's very important. There's so many nerve endings going from your hands to your brain. It's important to gesture, but it matters how you gesture. So firstly, here's what we found. If you gesture, if you gesture below your waist, so imagine if you're on a webcam, it's, it's out of sight. But if you're standing in front of people, it's as if your hands are by your side and you're limply gesturing below the height of your belt. Then that was given very poor ratings because it seems like you don't have confidence in your ideas. If you do no gestures, again, got very poor ratings. You're not, you're not convincing. You're not a good leader. You wouldn't get votes in an election, the whole thing. Then if you gesture, the key height is between your waist and your shoulders. So if you go above your shoulders, it's too dramatic. So between the waist and the shoulders, and here's the technical piece, slightly away from your body. If you gesture in against your body, it looks like you've sort of got T-Rex arms and you're not taking up your full space. If you go slightly away from the body, then suddenly you're in the right position. And the two things that you want to remember, a bit like forehand and backhand in tennis, they're not they're the only shots you use, but the two most reliable shots to go to. In uh, business, we're talking about palms down and palms up. And I, I coach these to people where I say, if you're not sure what gestures to do, do a palms up or a palms down. You can't go wrong in those situations. So palms up is for open messages, such as, hi, it's great to see you. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? I'd love to, love to hear from you. What are your, what, what's your opinion on this? Can we discuss doing this later? It's, it's an open uh, question, if you like, inviting people into the conversation. Whereas palms down is a closed statement, such as this has to be finished by two o'clock on Friday. That's my final price. I'm totally convinced this is the right way forward for the business. Palms down, very strong closed statement. And so I encourage people to use those gestures just to get back in the rhythm. If you're feeling self-conscious, you're not sure how to gesture, you use those gestures and then your arms allow them to do what they want to do. And if you let them be free, they'll more likely do what they do when you go to a bar and someone says, how long was your holiday? Oh, I did this thing. I climbed a mountain. We went skydiving and your gestures are coming to life just naturally. But if, if you get self-conscious, go back to palms up, palms down. Anyway, to sort of summarize that in the study, we found very simply that if the only gesture you do is palms up between your shoulder height and your waist, slightly away from the body, all your ratings go up. If the only gesture that you do is palms down, same height between the shoulders and the waist, slightly away from the body, all your ratings go up. But the, the one that got the best overall is that if you are using palms up for open statements and palms down for closed statements, people feel the congruency of that. Even if they don't know consciously what those gestures mean, they feel that it is congruent and therefore they think you're more charismatic, more convincing. They're more likely to vote for you in an election. They think you're a better leader. All of these things go up because it's congruent communication, using your body to express the message. So those are the big sort of granular things that everyone can do every day to get greater results. Richard, thank you for sharing those. That was so incredible. And when you talked about the first one, which is the posture, 
and you being grounded, a lot of times if you're going to do a talk, you know, as a speaker, you you do presentations. If you're in, if you're stepping into the boardroom to give a talk, you're coached on, you know, standing and being grounded, being in alignment. And as I say that, my hand is going ahead to, you know, down, like alignment. And sometimes they even encourage you to put your hands on your waist and get like a power stance before you go in so you can build up that confidence. You can breathe deeply. So when you step in, you can deliver your message powerfully and with confidence. So I love that you called out posture was one of those uh, items that you found with the hands doing the the language. What I've learned recently uh, through coaching, we were doing some, I think it was uh, some brain work, some quantum physics and some, we were learning NLP in coaching. And because our brain processes in pictures, a lot of the times the hand is moving with the picture that we're seeing in the brain. And we're trying to communicate that to the audience. So if you were to tell me to put my hands down or sit on it, it's like, well, I can't share the message because we use the hands to communicate just like the mouth is saying the words. So I love that you saw that using the hand gestures are an important one. One of the ones I heard is when people are doing sales talk and they close their palms, it's like, don't ever do that. Because then your people can see that shift in your energy and you're not confident about that sale or you don't believe in it. So don't put the hands together unless, for example, you're greeting someone. Because I know you would have done this in Nepal where you can put the hands together to greet someone with respect and humility and so on. So I love that you call that out because if we're more conscious of those gestures we make, we can start seeing that. Hey, in that meeting, the team was more receptive to the things I said. What was I doing with my hands? How was I standing or sitting? So just having that awareness as a leader can make so much change for us personally and in in communicating our messages more positively with the audience. Mm. Yeah, and the piece that that I'm always keen to stress on this too is uh, because often when people hear that, the, the term body language, they think, oh, uh, can you teach me to read other people? That's what I really want to, uh, to understand. And I'm always keen to say to them, start with yourself. Start yes. with thinking, like getting self-awareness about, about what are you doing? What, what message are you giving out? Because if you, want to, if you want to make a more positive impression on people, rather than trying to figure out what are they thinking now and how do I change that, we'll, we'll start with yourself, start with your body language. And you know, when I first started out doing this and I was learning how to be a presenter, I would film myself. Some people say practice in front of a mirror, but for most people, it makes you way too self-conscious. So instead, film yourself uh, doing it and then watch it back and see, well, what does that actually look like? Uh, you know, what could I improve here? What am I doing? And I, I noticed I was fidgeting. I was moving around, doing all sorts of things I didn't have any idea about. So the more aware you become of it and then the more practice you become in these various pieces, the more easy it will be to go and speak to an audience without even having to be conscious of it because you create a new muscle memory around, well, when I stand in front of a room, I stand centered, I'm grounded, I'm using gestures, I'm expressing away from my body. And your body goes there because it's a neural pathway that you've developed through that course of habit, through the course of time yes. uh, to be the kind of leader you want to be. And Richard, it's amazing that whenever we do any of these research or we're talking about 
anything related to personal development, what I find is we always come back to that self-awareness piece. What am I doing? And then how is that being projected to other people? And what do I want other people to do? So it always comes back starting with you and being aware of what is the thing that you're doing. And I think that is the highest principle in leadership. And for all of us in personal development that you've got to be aware of yourself first before you can start doing that with anybody else. Yeah, absolutely right. And Richard, I've got to ask you, so you shared two postures. What about the eye movement? Was that one of the things that came up? Because when you're speaking to someone, depending on the questions you ask them, sometimes you ask them questions about the past and the eyes start searching for the answers, questions about the future and the eyes go in a different direction. Sometimes the eyes go down. It, was that something that you found also in, in this uh, experiment? Yes, it's a good question. So when we, when we first went to, uh, to UCL, we, we said to them, look, we want to study everything about body language. Here's everything that I've learned in you know, living with monks, uh, working as an actor, reading hundreds of books and training many thousands of people worldwide. We want to study everything like eyes, tension. Uh, we want to look at uh, the, the manipulation of the, you know, the vocal tone and so on. And he said, look, just, just make it smaller than that because otherwise you won't figure out anything. Uh, so eyes was in the design ori originally, but we didn't uh, go as far as that. Uh, but to, to talk about, you know, what people can learn about eye movements, there's a few different things to look at. So some studies show you that for the majority of right-handed people, when, you, uh, when they are looking to their left, they're thinking about the past. When they're looking to the right, they're thinking about their imagination. And uh, one of the ways that that is useful for people to think about is how you gesture can help people see your message in time. So you can give a bit of time travel to your gestures. So what does that mean? So if you think about it this way, and for anybody listening, if you think about a graph, let's imagine there's a graph up on a slide in front of you. And imagine that the, you know, you've got your, the X and Y axis going across. Imagine that zero is on one side of the screen and 100 is on the other side of the screen. Which side is the 100 on? Well, the 100 is going to be on the right. If there's January on one side of the screen and December on the other side, which side is December? It's going to be on the right. And so there are, there are certain uh, countries around the world where people read in different directions, not necessarily left to right and so on, but graphs happen in the same direction. And the reason, part of the reason for this is that we see time traveling through space. So if I was, as I'm speaking to you now, if I was to suggest to you about the past, then I would go off to my right over here and say, look, last week, this thing happened to me. Or back in 1995, I went to live with these monks uh, in this monastery. It's in the past. I'm positioning it there with my gesture. If I want to talk about the future, I go to my left, which is therefore your right. And I say, look, next week, I'm doing this really exciting thing. I've got this event I'm going to. I'd love to have you there. What do you say? What do you think about that? So what I'm doing is engaging my gestures in a way that's helpful for you. So I'm going from the past, the present to the future. And if you do that as a speaker, whether you're a leader, you're on stage and so on, people really appreciate it because there's consistency in that movement and it goes in the direction they expect it. Whereas what most people do is the opposite because they see the world from past, present, and future. They see the past on their left and they see the future on their right. And they keep gesturing like that. And it's very confusing for the audience because they look there when you gesture about the past, they're like, but isn't that the future? You know, subconsciously, they'll be thinking this. They're going, okay, so, so you think, so for example, a, a leader says, um, things were not great last year, but next year, everything's going to be fantastic. Visually, what they're seeing 
is that uh, you know the the uh, the future is bad and the past was good. That's what they subconsciously get, and they get muddled around it. So you've got to know this as a speaker, and particularly with a large stage, you can walk across the stage from the audience's past to the audience's future to place things where they need to be in order to help them out visually with that. So that's one aspect to look at. Something else to talk about with the eyes, uh, which is a really easy one for people to use, and you can use it on Zoom calls, very useful. What I find useful with Zoom calls is that everybody's closer to you. So I'm used to sort of you know working in a boardroom with people where there might be 20, 30 people, and the people who are at the other end of the boardroom, they are several meters away from you, and their faces you know, gradually get smaller and smaller away from you. But on a Zoom call, everybody is about one meter away from you. So you can see their eyes more clearly. One of the key things to look out for is blink rate. And this is very useful as a leader, where if you are speaking to someone and you really want to check if they have taken on board what you've said, and obviously bearing in mind, sometimes there's technical difficulties with this where people freeze and you're not sure what's happening. But ideally, if you look out for blink rate, what you can notice is that rapid blinking equals rapid thinking. So what does that mean? Let's say you explain a complex concept or there's a difficult issue you're sharing with a member of staff, and then you see them rapidly blinking, it's worthwhile just pausing and checking in with them and saying, can I just check, you know, how are you feeling about that concept? Is there anything you'd like me to explain? Do you want some thinking time to reflect on this? Uh, Just so that you notice, because that's just a simple uh, piece that people do is that rapid blinking. The, The last piece to talk about too, which is sometimes misunderstood, is people going from left to right. There's a piece around this on lie detection. Now, I was very grateful to be able to go and record a podcast with Paul Ekman, who is one of the most brilliant people on understanding you know, uh, body language and so on. His work, his research was used to create the TV show, which I think was 20th, 20th Century Fox with Tim Roth, called Lie to Me. And they used a lot of his science to talk about lie detection. And one of the um, misconceptions people have is if someone's eyes go from left to right, left to right, it means that they must be lying because they're grabbing things from their imagination and trying to splice it in with the truth and so on. And actually, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, so what it can mean is if you put someone on the spot and say, tell me where you were last Friday. Now, somebody who knows they need an alibi, they've already rehearsed it in their mind. They go into their memory and they think, what did I rehearse? I decided that I wanted to say that I was there. So I'm going to say that. They go directly into the past. For someone who hasn't thought about where they were last Friday, what they need to do is think in their memory, like, where was I? Now, let me create this as a sentence that makes sense for you. So they're going from there memory to their imagination, they're putting the both things together. So there's a lot more to be said there and there's lots of great books around it. You know, people can deep dive into that area, which I'm not the expert in, but there's great people out there. Joe Navarro's book is very good. There's other great books if people are interested in body language around uh, like people watching is the Bible uh, from back in the day from Desmond Morris. And there's other great ones more recently that people can take a look at. But it's one of those pieces I'm always keen to talk about because I, I could talk about eyes, eye contact, the the eye movements that people have for a very long time, but that'll just give people a little head start. And Richard, it's so important to see what's going on with the eye because what I've learned is once the eye starts moving there, the brain is retrieving information. So it's amazing in coaching conversations when you ask clients questions and you see the eye start moving, you know, like they're looking for the answer because it's some deep questions that they need to ponder. And all of a sudden you see the eyes just start, you know, moving all over and you pause and you just let them come back to you with the answer. So I asked you that because it is something that I started paying attention to. And even with myself, I noticed when my eyes 
move up or it moves down and I'm like, okay, what am I doing, right? I'm more conscious and more self-aware of it. And it all ties into what you said about that self-awareness. So Richard, I know that you have this amazing book. I can see it in your background there. It's called Lift Your Impact. Can you share a little bit with our audience on what that book is and what they can learn from grabbing a copy of that book? Great. Yeah, thank you. So I I wrote this book uh, over the last uh, couple of years to really help people with where we are right now and to help leaders, particularly leaders and change makers, people who want to make a shift. And the reason being that prior to the, uh, the pandemic, a lot of my clients over the last couple of decades have said to me, they want to learn about patient skills and storytelling for making pitches and all this sort of stuff. And then requests changed very dramatically over the last few years around three different areas. Firstly, there's a lot of people who've been talking about feeling stressed, overwhelmed, anxiety, pressure building up on them of looking after a team or building a business or hitting targets. Then secondly, a lot of people saying they feel lonely compared to before. So, so there's a lot of uh, people preferring to work from home, being more connected with family and so on, but then they are feeling that their, their relationships with people at work are more superficial and they don't feel that they're able to really build those in-depth relationships. People are finding it harder to be amicable in conversations. There's a lot more conflict coming up in the workplace with this uh, often transactional level of conversation that's happening. So I wanted to help people get deeper connections there. And thirdly, there's a lot of people showing up at work, but just feeling a lack of purpose, really questioning the last couple of years, why am I actually still doing this? And so the book is designed to address those three areas. Firstly, to give people a rock solid mindset so they can be the rock in the storm, no matter what's going on, being the best version of themselves every day. The second area it addresses is how do you increase your influence? If you've got, a, if you're a, you've got an amazing mindset, you then need to interact with other human beings. And uh, you'll need to interact with them to influence their behavior, to move forward on projects. So how do you lift them up and therefore lift your, your uh, desired results? And lastly, what about your legacy? You know, thinking forward into the future, if you've got a great goal that you want to achieve, how do you keep going? How do you keep the momentum going and really make a major shift that you feel proud of long term? And so the book is designed to give people all the tools that they would need to achieve that. It's also, it's designed a bit like a, a workbook. So I've got these little workbook pages where people can write in it and make it their own to go through various different elements and really understand this. So I'm very proud of it. Lift your impact and uh, people can go and uh, check out the details online. And Richard, you should be really proud of it because that takes a lot of work putting a book together. <laughs> Honestly, it does. A lot of research, a lot of writing and rewriting and rewriting to make sure it's absolutely perfect. And then when you read the page and all the words come together, you're like, that took me how long to put together? But that's, that's the quality that you want to put out there for people. So I love that as part of the gift today, Richard. I think you have a special gift for the audience related to the book. That's true. Yeah, thank you. So if people go to liftyourimpact.com forward slash the book, then you can find out more details about the book. But if you go down to the bottom of the page, you can get the first 25 pages of the book completely free so that you can dive into there. And that starts you off with the mindset section. And there's some workbook pages in there as well. So I wanted to get everybody started uh, with this piece. And then if they want to go and buy the book later on, then they certainly can. But I wanted to give everybody that opportunity to experience the book for free. Oh, Richard, thank you so very much for that kind, for that generous uh, gift. I will put that link in the show notes so that everyone can get it. And Richard, what's one way to connect with you? 
Uh, so if people want to connect with me, probably the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. So just look for Richard Newman, Body Talk. Uh, sometimes it comes up under Richard Newman Speaks, but you can find me on there. And I'm generally putting up resources for people about three days per week, short little videos to keep people inspired. Or if they're on uh, Instagram, you can find me at Richard Newman Speaks. Oh, thank you, Richard. I will also put those in the show notes for our listeners today. And Richard, you've shared with us some remarkable research that you've done about communication and about uh, body language. Any final words of wisdom to share with our audience today? Yeah, I think one final uh, note of wisdom really would be, and I talk about this a lot in the book because it means so much to me, is I think one of the most powerful things that leaders can really do is to see the greatness in the people around them and express that they've seen it. So uh, for me, I, I never would have been you know, doing any of this stuff if not for the fact that when I was you know, early 20s, my hairdresser, of all people, he was talking to me about like, what are you interested in? What do you do? What's your background? And I told him a bit about, you know, working with the monks and studying acting and so on. And he said to me, I see you as being a teacher. I, I see you as teaching people. What if I give you a free haircut today and you could take that stuff and you could teach it to people and you could teach it to my staff here. And I said, I don't know how to do that. And he said, no, you're going to figure this out. Free haircut, come and teach them. And that was my first session. And by word of mouth from that first session, we've now trained 120,000 people. So I always say to leaders, See if you can see the greatness in the people around you. See potential in them that they don't even know that they have. Believe in them and you may be mesmerized by what happens next. So always make sure you can see someone's greatness. Or oh, Richard, that is so beautiful. And I do want to say you've been blessed with many amazing people in your life. Your hairdresser, the person who was 16, who gave you that book when you were 16 to start you off. That's incredible that you still remember those moments. And you, when you look back in your career, you can say, hey, that was the seed that they planted at that point in time. And look what it blossomed into, you increasing your impact to so many people. So for each one of us listening today, you can plant that positive seed into someone's air. It doesn't matter if you're in a taxi, you're taking a walk, you can plant that positive seed into someone's air and you don't know years from now what it will turn out to be. Richard, thank you so very much for sharing your wisdom here with us today. Richard's contact info and gift will be in the show notes at leadandlift.com. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for another Lead and Lift episode. And remember, you have the ability to lead and lift others along your journey. Thank you for listening to Lead and Lift with Shabade Jagwal Ramna. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guests' contact information in the show notes. We have resources to improve your leadership, your communication, and your confidence at leadandlift.com. We invite you to go check those out. Stay tuned for the next episode.